when you talk about industrialization, once you can think that it is only foreigners or it is only adults who can implement industrialization. You as a youth, you can industrialize, you can start on a small scale. Become data literate with this podcast segment on reports. Data literacy is completely teachable, so stay curious in your comfort zone and learn a thing or two that might surprise you. Use this data to prove the efficacy and integrity of your decisions. In May, government launched a new industrial policy which is expected to spur industrial development and economic transformation. Uganda has only just begun to tap into the industrial policy toolbox of instruments mm-hmm. that developed countries have employed in transforming their economies. Our quest for industrialization is highlighted in Vision 2040 and NDP3, which are Uganda's medium and long-term plans that prioritize industrialization as a key driver for Uganda's prosperity. The title of today's episode is the Industrial Policy, a framework for Uganda's industrialization. I'm Aggie Patricia Turomwe, a communication specialist with AP20 Marketing. Today we bring you some type of energy, a kindred spirit, call her Mama Bubu, queen of value addition, manufacturing champion, and former minister of trade, industry, and cooperatives, Honorable Amelia Chambade. She has been preaching and demystifying industrialization for a decade and continues to do so in her new role as the senior presidential advisor of industries. You're just the perfect fit to this podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Um, thank you. Thank you very much, Aki. Um, before we get into it, I, I'd like to appreciate all of you curious minds for the comments and shares on our previous reports. And you guys are the real MVPs. We can only make the change we need to by understanding how things work. As the minister in charge from 2011 to 2021, you were very instrumental in the formulation of this policy. Not forgetting the development partners. How did this national industrial policy come about, if you will, the evolution? As you may recall, or probably the national industrial policy was designed in 2009. And um, it was a framework for Uganda's transformation, competitiveness, and prosperity to facilitate economic transformation through application of science, technology, and innovation. But with time, we realized that there were certain economic dynamics that required us to review the policy on the basis of what was happening globally. Number one, the introduction of the digital era, which wasn't there before in 28. Availability of resources, availability of nascent industries on the market, for example, like petroleum, cement, fertilizers, and all those, we realized that we had to review that policy in order to factor in the institutional capacity development, infrastructure development, and enhance public-private partnership, which wasn't the case before. Because as you may recall, when we had that policy, we were not focusing on the partnership between the private sector and the public sector. But now with time, we realized that it was key, the industrial infrastructure development. And then the other one, introduction of science and technology, but also factoring in 
IICT. That is why we felt that we have to review this policy in order to capture the youth fraternity, which had been left out all this time. Because I remember in our first policy, we were just looking at investors. We were calling investors and we did not factor in the indigenous but then we realized that as much as we had our policy, it was not aligned to our strategic intervention. For example, the National Development Plan, uh, National Development Plan 3, a vision 2040, the East African Community Vision 2050, the Africa Agenda, the Sustainable Development Goal. To address the challenges that were there in the industrial sector. And all these programs now had started focusing on the youth, the emerging community of the youth, and the fact that we even had more universities, more graduates than we had before we designed our earlier policy. So that is why we felt that we had to review the policy. Yeah. And I've, and I've had you mention that sometimes we Ugandans thought that industrialization was only for foreigners. So this new policy seeks to address that issue. Yes, this new policy is, is looking at, um, at that issue. When we talk about industrialization, once again, I think that it is only foreigners or it is only adults who can implement industrialization. You as a youth, you can industrialize, you can start on a small scale. First of all, as a group, you set a small business. Let me talk about ICT. If you train in ICT, you can start as a, as a consultant, set a small business with two or three, and then eventually people will come on board. People who make briquettes for cooking, that is also industrialization. People who do baking, people who make bricks, all okay, those basic things, so that is also industrialization, but from a small scale. Even people yeah. who, who are in aquaculture and industry at that. Mm. Although there are challenges, again, you know very well there are a number of challenges, but in every project, you identify your challenge first, then you find the solution. Agro-based. Let, let me stop you just there for a moment, just to dig mm. into the notion of um, the priorities of the industries that were named in this report. Industries, whereby you have fruits, coffee, right from production, cotton, textiles, and apparel. You'd have tea, cassava, everybody's growing cassava. Yes. Uh, grain, oasis, dairy, leather, and leather productions. Just produce and sell in a raw form. Instead of looking at adding value. Then the other one is extractive-based manufacturing industry. These, of course, are more uh, capture-intensive. For example, iron and steel. That is mainly public-private partnership. It's not an ordinary Ugandan that can do that. Oil and gas, synthetic plastics and petrochemicals, soaps, cement, and fertilizers. Then the third one is knowledge-intensive industry. These are... Um, pharmaceuticals, automobiles, electrical, and electronics. So actually, these are the key areas. But you find that most Ugandans fall under the agro-based industry. Any specific industries that have stood out to you in this decade? Yes. Um, what has emerged, surprisingly, as, as the whole world went under lockdown, apparently Uganda woke up. Uganda started producing sanitizers. Uganda started producing masks. Uganda started producing salt. These are products that we have never even thought about. We kept importing these from China, from all these other countries. But Uganda has woken up, 
and uh, at least that is um, an achievement. For example, people were making alcohol, now are able to make sanitizers. Imagine even the village, they don't realize that their raw material has become a lot where they make wakwete, waragi, you know, and all those. Those are actually raw materials for, for some yeah. of these near industries. Yeah. yeah. So guys, if you'd like to follow this conversation, you need to check out the show notes for the link on the policy. So back to you, um, Honorable, what does the policy seek to address? Low productivity and capacity utilization. Um, insufficient supply of policy raw materials for value addition. We are currently using the export development strategy whereby we are giving our seedlings to, through operation world creation and encouraging to grow, to carry out mass production on coffee, tea, by giving out seedlings so that they will be able to process and export. But then also yeah. technology uptake. We introduced a new ministry, which is science and technology. The main goal is to promote the youth who are coming up with innovation. Yeah. In, in ICT, but in also other areas. So government is also supporting them through that form. Another yeah. one is inadequate skilled human resources. You find that a number of institutions have been started, for example, Bitbet institutions. Unfortunately, most of these schools are now under lockdown. But they say every district at least should have a technical school to educate people in different skills. So we're trying to boost the skilled human resource so that they're able to work in part. And limited capacity to comply with standards and regulations for that. We strengthen UNDN, but then also we are rolling out different districts to be able to certify some of these local uh, companies or MSMEs that yeah. are trying to come up with, with new innovation. And then, of course, safety and environment policies. A number of safety and environment policies are being put up. Okay. And what are the key roles? and actions for this policy? Who are the partners that, that are involved? First of all, we came up with a, a national industrial sector strategic plan. This was an achievement. Because most people come up with policies, but do not come up with, with a plan, strategic plan. So we looked at uh, different ministries that is now public. Public, Minister of Finance is key. Minister mm -hmm. of Agriculture is key. So most of these ministries are key. In, in yeah. ensuring that they follow up on, on the implementation of agriculture. Mr. Coach is looking at, at the crops that are grown. A number of people are growing crops like pineapple, ginger. I mentioned some of these, tea, coffee, and all those. So they're looking at the value chain. What are you producing? If you're growing a pineapple, what are your expectations out of your harvest or your yield? Do you, what do you want to do? You want to make jam? or you want to make juice or things like that, flavoring. So in implementing this, they will look at specific commodities and make sure that they are supported through their value chains. You may find that a number of equipment and machinery have been put up in different districts through Ministry of Agriculture and Ministry of Trade. 
then of course you have the private sector. So you find that this strategic plan is not only by implementation, is not only by government, but by its agency, but also by the private sector. Then of course you increase public investment. Yes. And then of course continue with the with the skilling development and strengthening the skill the skilling of the human resources. It's a very high on the agenda. Because yeah. Are there other policy instruments that you have formulated in your term in office? For example, you said there's a strategic implementation plan. Are there other documents or other plans that are meant to factor into this whole NIP? Yes, there is Bobo, a local consent. I remember when I just came into the ministry, there were a lot of complaints about products from China, from India, and how they were in the market, from the Ugandans and all that. So we introduced the local consent, we introduced Bobo. And Bobo, we are focusing mainly on the goods that are produced here. What surprised us that when we had the first fair on Bobo, we realized that there were so many Ugandans out there who hadn't been recognized, who were making things locally. Leather goods, um, detergents, cosmetics, and they're making them locally. So what we did is that we certified, we certified those products, and um, we, through our directorate of MSM, tried to promote, promote them, to promote those products. We discovered that Bobo actually was our lifeline, because during the lockdown, all the products, most of the products, 70% of the products on the shelves were made in Uganda. That was one of the impact of Google. Cosmetics, detergents, yeah. baby food, all those were made in Uganda. So we can see Google had an impact on, on, yeah. on our economy and we survived the lockdown with um, products on the shelves. Another one was the National Export Development Strategy, whereby we're promoting the products that are supposed to be for export. Uh, another one, the MSME policy, whereby we are identifying small and medium enterprises and scaling them, uh, promoting the value chain, linking them to different agencies, for example, organic crop promotion sports, for example, UNBS and URSD. So uh, that one also was um, a key aspect of supporting um, SMEs because our economy is premise on SMEs. Our entire economy is premise on SMEs. So MSME development was another one. Cooperative development, yes, we did a cooperative development, but also another one. That one, um, we wanted uh, to promote cooperatives to ensure that um, SME form themselves into cooperatives because if you have about five SMEs or dealing in textile, if they form a cooperative, they'll be able to create a base or platform to yeah. negotiate. Yeah. And then the African continental free trade area, that is to open up a market, a broader market, because we were actually being stifled in our domestic market. The goods were not... Um, we already had so much, the competition was too much. So during my time, I was the chief negotiator of the African yeah. continent of the area. 
and we finished it in good time. Now there's a market for our goods in African continent future. Comesa had died by the time I came into government. But now we rejuvenated it and uh, we are members. Comesa has supported us so much, especially in building border, border export zones whereby we're able to trade with our neighbors. And then during our time, we also constructed border posts, border posts whereby we streamlined the border post trade across borders whereby you're able to go across and trade in your goods more easily, protected, and our goods are accessible to our neighbors. That was the most regional integration. Yeah. Even district re- commercial officers, because yeah. we have district commercial officers in every district, but people don't know them. So these district commercial officers are there to give to feed into our ministry, Ministry of Trade and Industry, give them information about the economic activities in those areas, and also sensitize people about some of the of their rights and some of the problems. Mm-hmm. Speaking at the, at the launch of the policy, the UNDP resident representative, Miss Elsie oh, yes. at Afua, yes. she also observed mm-hmm. that when handled successfully, the industrialization generates export revenue, jobs, new technologies that foster innovation, international competitiveness, as well as rapid and sustained prosperity. But do you think the pockets of inefficiency since you've been there for a decade in the ministry around corruption, bureaucracy, patronage politics. You mentioned um, the other planning documents not being aligned with each other. Do you think there's an opportunity around this, especially with this new policy? So awareness in the media, that one is important. Of course, most people do not know. Two, the district commercial officers play a big role in linking linking the SME to the relevant agencies. That reduces on the bureaucracy in the process because it is very difficult for someone to come. Uh, and that also goes, goes into access. Very difficult for someone from, from Moroto to come all the way to Kampala to come and register a business. Three, roll, rolling out of agencies in the different districts. URSB has opened up offices, UNBS is opening up offices, and all these relevant agencies, we have to make sure that they, they are present in, in the districts. So corruption is something that it takes towards me. You was giving money and me was asking. Yeah. So this war, we have to fight it together. Political, uh, private, and all that we have to fight this war together. So I know yeah. this is one of your babies. This policy, you were so happy that um, it was uh, launched. I noticed that it all, it's also going to address balance of trade. Yeah, with yes, import it's substitution. To, it's going to address balance of trade, of course, with import substitution. But then, um, well, but of course, there's so much we have to do from the value chain before we we get to trade itself. Yeah. And uh, how easy do you think it's going to be to implement this plan, given the there's been a change in the world order? Is it being implemented already? And how easy do you think it's going to be? Well, some of the areas, some of the areas are being um, implemented. For example, I, I talked about the, the role of all that, but as you know, all these have been affected by this, this lockdown. Yeah. yeah. The COVID uh, movement of goods, movement of raw materials, movement of siblings, and all that has been uh, limited by that. 
But my, I think we need to uh, to go to, to go digital because digitalization is is on the way now. Because we don't know COVID, we are going to live with COVID forever. Right? Not forever, but for some time. I think digitalization is key. It seems everybody has a phone, has access. So I think this is what we should consolidate, but also make it cheaper. Because I know we're paying taxes of almost 12%. We need to review that. That is a bit too much. And so not everybody can afford that. Then you have these other platforms, commerce, e-commerce platforms, for example, like Jumia, like um, all those platforms that are really going to help in doing trade. I know a lot of people who are doing their business already through those platforms. Imagine even the market vendors are also using those those platforms to do that. So I feel that the way forward is maybe digitalization. That is how we're going to, to succeed. Yeah, it was interesting how um, what I found during my research for this episode, you went on the streets and had your foot in one of the days of these market vendors. It's quite impressive as a leader. Very, very exemplary. <laughs> so did you, did, did, you, did you have to work threefold as a woman in a position of power? Yeah. When I joined the market vendors, they still had gone mad and I could see ambulances trailing behind me. <laughs> trying to take me to the tabika. <laughs> no, but um, let me give you a background to this. I, I realized that uh, market vendors were mistreated by cases here. And I say there must be a solution to this. We can't keep loading them onto buses and piling them in Luzira all the time. We come out and go back on the street. We must find a solution. So we crafted an idea that we could uh, impart skills, you know, at least educate them, skill them, so that they are able to start their own project. And we worked together with an NGO, some girl called Irene or somebody. Girl, girl, girl to girl, girl to girl. So we worked together. And I say, first of all, they were looking at us as public public officers. They were looking at us as enemies. So I said, I must inculcate a relationship, a relationship with them. And what I did, I said, no, let me go downtown and also vend bananas and mangoes and all that. Of course, it took a lot of work. The police was on my neck and causing causing excitement. Anyway, I went downtown. But what I discovered really touched me, that these are Ugandans, nobody's offering them a life. Nobody's thinking about uh, why they're there in the streets. Nobody really wants to vent mangoes the whole day. Yeah. But so I, they told me about the challenges they have, with cases here, the challenges they have with their capital. So I say, we walked throughout the streets, how, but it's up and up here. I remember that basket. By the time I got home, the head was, <laughs> it was so heavy. And because I sold so much, they kept putting in bananas and what. But eventually I gave them all the money. That day, the group I moved with, we made 600. Because people were giving me tips. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're tipping me. People are giving me 100,000. Someone would buy a bag. Of course, they were teasing me. We yeah. buy a mango and then give me, say, keep balance, keep balance. Yeah. Plant well. We need to give them skills. Number two, we need to factor them in as, as human beings, as Ugandans. We need to stop criminalizing spending. We need to look at source of funding. Yeah. So what I, what I did, um, 
I talked to MTAC and I really want to thank MTAC. MTAC said I offered three months courses for them in four areas, catering, hairdressing, leather making, and tailoring. Well, in the beginning, they started telling me you don't have transport. What, but what amused me is that they registered. The first intake, they're about 110. The second intake, then they started coming in. We've had about three intakes, and I want to thank government for that because government responded and they put in money to train them, scale them. Okay. I had intended to write documentaries on some of the vendors who are transformed into business people. Now that you I'm should. in industry, I'm yeah. going to do that. Who have gone through this game, vendors. Yeah. Have you yeah. had to so work harder said. as a woman? Yes. In power? First of all, women are considered as uh, second-hand citizens. And I really want to thank... In 2021. <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> but I really want to thank this government because it has promoted women so yeah. much. I remember when I was going into politics, people said, this area has never been governed by a woman and it will never happen. Certain clusters of people, even women themselves were not believing in themselves. But eventually I went through those two times. I'm glad that NRM has come up with this strategy of identifying women. But you still find that in other institutions, you still find that women are still abused. They are still looked at as such objects. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. But yeah. in some of these institutions, because I've talked to a number of, of, of women, and you still find that de facto, the recognition is not as much. as The political recognition is there, but the undercurrent, there's still a lot of oppression. I would like to appeal to you girls, but don't use this as a tool of success. If you are being abused, come out and talk about it. Don't suppress it and say, how will I survive? Or, you know, I still have to do this. No, 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 no. If you do not talk about it, it will never end. Because even basic, even basic like girls who are working in homes, house girls and women, who these are being uh, oppressed. But don't suppress it. Come out and talk about it. Then I yeah. realized that we are not doing enough talking. We as women who are being successful. Yes. Successful. We are silent. True. We are not coming out to protect that girl child. We are not coming out to protect that oppressed woman. And we're not even talking. Because I remember at one time I talked about incest. Then someone came and whispered to me, because incest is on the rise, if you don't know Aggie. Incest is on the rise. In all these homes, you find fathers, that isn't everything. Brothers, cousins. When I talked about it, one guy from the media told me, you know, uh, that is a dangerous area. Don't talk about it. So you find that nobody wants to talk about incest, but incest is there. Yeah. So this girl child is suffering, suffering from that, right from home up to a place of work. So now who's going to fight for her? Nobody is doing that. I said, even us, we're standing. 
Yeah. So now you agree. We must do better. We must do better. Yeah. I'm I'm afraid that's all we have time for. Um, We only have one golden question left. Are you ready? What will it take to achieve a vibrant industry? Or what what will it take to achieve a middle-class economy in Uganda? From your your industry background. First of all, the financial institutions. Financial institutions must recognize the small enterprise. They are not doing that. If they are not doing that, then we, first of all, remember all these financial institutions are foreign based. They come here, start these financial institutions, and that is why they have very high interest rates. So we as government should also come up with, with a bank. We are talking about books. Then let us come up with a financial institution that will offer credit, affordable, accessible credit. Of course, we talk about UDB, but who ends up there? It's the middle income, I mean the medium business. So financial institutions, that is one. Two, to government to improve its public investment and nurturing of industrial development projects. At all levels, government should not look only medium into embrace regional integration, embrace continental trade. Oh, oh, improve, improve on our quality and standards, standards of our products. Yeah. I mean, you, you took a step um, by probing the UNBS. What, what, what were the results? Did, um, was there a change of management? I know that you yeah. probed um, the management at uh, UNBS. At yes, the time, okay. Two years oh, ago. that was another war when I just come in. When I just come into the ministry. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, the management, there was a lot of corruption, I must admit. But yeah. now we, we changed the management. Mm-hmm. They changed a lot of policy uh, regulations and, and policies. That's um, good. For example, the goods that are verified and tested from the point of origin. Yeah. And with that pivot, that was pivot. You could see that almost 30 to 40% of the goods that come in. There were substandard goods, but now they've been cut. Yeah. And then they also reduced their prices, their costs of certification. Certification was very expensive. I think it was one point something. They reduced it to 500 or something. So they've been, they've been also making an effort. We've been making an effort in UNBS to reduce on the, on the cost of certification. But all speaking, those. speaking of costs that you mentioned, um, the cost of production is still very high in Uganda, yes. especially for industries. Um, and since we're talking about a middle class economy, <laughs> and recently President laid a stone, but given that the cost of production is still very high, I don't see how feasible that is compared to other countries where the electricity alone is very low. Well, in terms um, of you can see that government now has focused so much on infrastructure development. That is also one area that yeah. will reduce on the cost of production. For example, energy, water. We are optimistic that in the next few years, um, the cost of the tariffs will cost about five five cents in industries. In some areas, it's the reason. But I remember it has started from 12 cents, came down to, to eight, seven now we want it to go down five cents per kilowatt yeah. electricity. And then, of course, water, then roads. We are going to work on the railway in this financial year. So once you work on this infrastructure development, definitely it will reduce on the cost of production. The challenge is that we still import some areas, we still import raw materials, but all these are being factored in as uh, once we have this policy in place, 
it will definitely help to reduce the concept production.